You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 755 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you live on a Sunday evening into Monday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting bar in the business. And remember to use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first box of Built Bars. Before we dive into today's show, that'll be a bit shorter and newsier than most recently. I do want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast and leave five-star feedback if you're able and willing to do that. We had Ross Homan and Jeff Siegel, among others, last week on the podcast. Plenty of guests in the recent past, and I really appreciate that. Uh, everyone that's already been listening to the podcast, it's also still a good time to jump on board. So thank you for joining us today. And with that out of the way, there are, uh, I would say, three different sort of segments to, on tonight's podcast. And I have a guest lined up for Tuesday's show that I wanted to bridge the gap a little bit between that and what we were able to do last week. So here we are with uh, a solo show tonight. Um, first things first, um, I'm calling this sort of a weird slash bad rumor in quotation marks. And I hesitate even to comment on it, but because people were asking me about it, I figured I, I should go ahead and jump in and give some sort of a response because people were asking, and it sort of made the rounds at the end of last week. Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News wrote a bit about Troy Young at the end of the week last week, and pretty bizarrely, in my opinion, you know, for some background here, it, it is a New York tabloid. They are often more sensationalist than a lot of other down-the-middle reporting, so keep, keep that in mind throughout this whole thing. It's not like this is a major, you know, ESPN Oh, Adrian Wojnarowski report. This is a, a, a sort of a regional thing, definitely a tabloid style kind of writing. And by the way, not, not the first time that a New York outlet has written about a star player coming to New York without much evidence or reason. Um, the part that got the most attention, I will read the entire quote to you right now. And it is the following quote, Young is a bright lights player in a city that, is, that doesn't care much about the Hawks. Word is Young not only creates a bigger stage, but he became frustrated with Atlanta coach Lloyd Pierce, end quote. Obviously, the Pierce thing is not new, um, and we've talked about that a lot, so I'll leave that alone for right now. But the Bright Lights player thing, kind of funny, um, the way that he talked about it. He sort of hilariously referenced some of the pre-draft comments about New York that Troy Young made along the way as sort of, I guess, evidence, if you want to put up, put that word behind it, of a desire to kind of be there. I don't really love that. Obviously, the national reputation of Atlanta's fan base is not exactly the best, so I'm not a huge surprise there. But um, the point about Trey craving a bigger stage... I don't know where that comes from. I mean, it might be real. I have no idea, but it's just kind of a, one of the things that gets written in the silly season kind of context. Obviously, a lot of players would like to be drafted by the Knicks. That's not breaking news. The Knicks have been a disaster for quite some time now, but it is obviously a huge market, um, great arena, et cetera, et cetera. But still pretty standard comments if you saw this. The stuff that Trey said was, again, before he was drafted by the Hawks, so pretty standard stuff from before the draft, and every team um, gets a lot of pl- uh, sort of plaudits from players before they arrive, so no, no big surprise there. Also, the piece referenced John Collins as a, quote, trade chip, end quote, and then discussed Young's contract situation in kind of a weird way. And also, um, I'll say finally, used the Chris Asporzinga situation in New York as evidence of some sort that a player could escape despite a favorable setup for the incumbent team that, um, you know, by the way, still ignores that Porzingis had a major injury, uh, wasn't as good as Trey Young. And also the Knicks traded him for a pretty interesting package, even with the injuries and the fact that Przingis kind of clearly didn't want to be there and publicly said so. So a lot of different factors that have to be uh, uh, taken into account there when trying to make that comparison. But um, my overall stance here is that obviously a team like the Knicks would love to have Trey Young. That's not really a huge surprise here. At the same time, I firmly believe that Young would have to pretty much publicly demand a trade to have any chance 
any chance whatsoever of getting traded or getting out of Atlanta in the near future. And uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but even if the Hawks somehow didn't come to extension with Trey Young, next summer when, when, he, when, when he's able to sign an extension, this is something that wasn't really addressed in the piece. Um, the Hawks would have had the opportunity to match any offer when he hits the market the following summer. Unless something crazy happens in the meantime, they're going to do that. I know he could take the qualifying offer, but no one really has ever done that on his level anyway, um, in terms of an actual star player. Um, if he wanted to leave that badly, I guess he could do that. But um, again, I don't think he was going to, I don't think he's going to do that unless he actually demands a trade. And then that's sort of a different thing entirely. So without that coming, and I don't think it's going to happen, this whole thing is kind of silly in my opinion, and which is why, again, I hesitate to even talk about it, but it's uh, something that got a lot of discussion, so I want to weigh in on it. Um, by the way, not the first time that a non-Atlanta outlet has taken shots at the Hawks and Hawks fans by citing the bright lights elsewhere. I get all that, but um, honestly, the whole thing is silly. And from the reaction that I saw, I was happy, actually, that Hawks fans um, kind of just made fun of it, which is the right thing to do, which uh, rather take it, rather than taking it seriously, this is not a really important thing. This is not an actual, This is not a, uh, an outlet that is going to be making like down-the-line reporting about Trey Young's next stop. And again, the Hawks have control over Trey Young for quite some time contractually, so nothing to worry about if you're a Hawks fan. Just kind of a funny thing. And again, it's it's the Knicks. Um, they'd love to have Trey Young as a lot of, as a lot of teams would, but there you go on that. Nothing uh, terribly to take from that. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast and the next segment on the show, a word from the good folks at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and there are many reasons to love Built Bar. On top of the incredible taste, Built Bar is fantastic for anyone that's trying to be health conscious with the ability to lose or maintain weight, or while still indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high fiber, and high protein. And quite honestly, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and unlike some of the other competitors, the bars are soft and easy to chew. I can tell you, I've been loving the banana nut flavor, and the peanut butter brownie flavor is also really enjoyable, and there are many, many others to choose from. In fact, there are 16 amazing flavors to choose from, and they all bring a spectacular flavor profile to the table. I would firmly recommend Built Bar. In order to check it out for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. It's a perfect day to try Built Bar. All right, with the, silliness, with the silliness, I should say, of the first segment out of the way, this is the one that's uh, more serious of the three right now because it's going to be sort of newsy and bulky with stuff that was reported on Friday and I would say over the weekend. Um, basically, a lot of it centered on, on Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, of course, call, had a call with, with the Players Association on Friday that was heavily reported on. Um, I'm going to sort of just break down some of the things that um, surfaced there. A lot of the reporting from, from Adrian Wojnarowski, but also from Chris Haynes, Sham Sarania, etc. Um, Silver reportedly told the players that 40% of league revenue comes from game night, uh, which however you want to describe that. That figure definitely seems high in discussing with a couple people um, that would know things. And by the way, a lot of the stuff that we talked about um, on the last podcast with Jeff Siegel is still very much relevant and a lot of the uh, uncertainties. I would definitely recommend that podcast. Jeff is very smart and plugged in. Check that one out from, uh, the, from the end of last week. But still, um, that 40% figure did seem pretty high. Um, still not still a ton of money, even if it's not 40%. But keep that in mind along the way. That sort of uh, piqued my interest when that was reported. Um, there was some talk about the COVID-19 vaccine possibilities and the reality that the league will have a bunch of less than ideal options until a vaccine emerges. In fact, the actual, requ- the actual quote was reported was reported as quote a series of bad options end quote which I definitely agree with there's not a lot of perfect stuff right now when it comes to how the league can possibly put um, sort of move forward here I don't put a, I don't actually don't put a ton of stock on the in the NBA when it comes to projecting a vaccine timeline because it's not something that they actually do but silver does have I'm sure good sources on this 
and he reportedly was projecting about an approximate timeline of about a year, which is pretty much in line with a lot of mainstream thinking. So keep that in mind. I wouldn't take it as gospel, but there you go on that. Um, a couple of players uh, reportedly told Silver that they were feeling pressure to report for workouts, and Silver sort of decried that and said it shouldn't be happening from the ownership side. I would say there's not a huge surprise to me on this one. I'm still uh, and it, definitely an interesting subplot though because you know a lot of teams are going to be opening up this week. I'm sure the Hawks are. That's at least that's their uh, timeline. I've not heard anything else in addition to what Travis Shanks said last week about the timeline of opening up. But a lot of teams are going to be opening, and uh, it wouldn't be stunning to me if they were trying to get players in town, but they shouldn't be pressuring them according to Adam Silver. Also, I think it's pretty interesting to see how the players that left the market will approach this. References a little bit last week as well, but guys like Troy Young, Clint, Clint Capella, Clint Kevin Herter all left town. They're franchises around the league that their players do not live in their cities, and they have not been there for the last several weeks. So um, I'm sure a lot of players won't be thrilled to get on a commercial flight to come home. Keep that in mind as well. Um, the decision, something else that Silver said here, was that the decision on resuming this season does not have to be made in May or even in early June. So that's obviously a long time. Um, when we, I guess relatively it's not a long time, but um, still about a month away from you know the early June timeline. For decisions, so nothing uh, necessarily imminent on a full-fledged decision here, so keep that in mind as well. Silver did admit that resuming the season at one or two sites rather than actually in NBA arenas makes the most sense, which has been something we've always been talking about the entire time here. But uh, multiple outlets included references to both Orlando and Disney World. Um, that idea, as well as the Las Vegas idea, with MGM being prominently reported about there. Um, there is some pushback on the bubble concept, of course. ESPN quoted Silver as telling players that the goal, I'm, I'm, re, I'm going to read the quote to you now that they that, that ESPN cited here, quote, the goal isn't to have you go to a market for two months and sit in a hotel room, end quote. So that's interesting. We'll see how that sort of moves along here. And if they end up doing the Orlando Vegas idea, it was discussed as Eastern and Western Conference options, which uh, this is more of a rich man's problem. But uh, looking down the line, that would produce the question about where the finals would be if that actually happened. But that's definitely uh, not a huge thing to discuss at this moment in time. But interesting that they might actually go with like sort of two mini bubble sites and we'll see how that moves forward. Everything still has to be collectively bargained, which is again something Jeff and I talked about a lot on Friday. But that was reemphasized quite a bit in the reporting. Um, that kind of leads to the uncertainty that we're seeing in a lot of ways. Um, Basketball-wise, um, Silver did say that they want to keep the traditional playoff structure to seven-game series if they are able to do that. That, of course, increases the amount of time that guys are going to be sort of sequestered in some form or fashion. At the same time, they also could... Um, cut down on off days. There's no travel, so they could do it, obviously, in a little bit more, more of a condensed form. I would imagine, like, every other day alternating when you get down to the end. We'll see how that goes, but I would imagine um, no long breaks in between games, considering the uh, structure that they would have to put forth there. Um, Silver also reportedly noted a sort of a grim financial reality, at least, at least when compared to normal, and he said that teams are, quote, very concerned. This is something that we've we talked about before as well, but as much as it'll be likely annoying for fans to hear this and like teams crying poor, it is definitely a factor. Um, when realizing that everything has to be collectively bargained, owners have a big say in this. They're going to um, have some incentive to cry poor, and they're going to continue to do that, which will be pretty annoying to some people that are paying att close attention. And of course, everyone involved has a lot of money, but still, there are figures that are important to keep in mind here. And lastly, on this particular segment, I listened to the Adrian Wojnarowski podcast over the weekend, which I recommend. Uh, he had Bobby Marks and Rachel Nichols on the show. And that's a pretty that's a pretty good audio catch up if you don't feel like diving into all of the reporting that was do, that was done in writing form. A couple more things that they actually discussed there were sort of the overall risk tolerance of this whole endeavor. That's been a lot of the discussion, like you know, outside of sports, is like how much 
risk is too much risk, et cetera, when it comes to just like going back to work or like opening up certain things. And I'm not an expert on any of that stuff, but that's definitely something that has to be discussed on all sides, including the players who have to go out and play. And, uh, you know, keep that in mind through all of this stuff. Also, lots of discussion about uh, testing availability, and the league's been a little bit more aggressive in its public stance about being, I guess, more willing to have teams be testing, you know, um, asymptomatic people right now than they were maybe a couple weeks ago. And uh, ultimately, they're going to have to be willing to take a little bit probably of a PR hit by testing the heck out of everyone while a lot of the country is not necessarily testing at the highest levels right now. And also, the protocol of what happens what, what happens if and when someone actually, te- actually tests positive. Silver referenced the fact that they were talking about, you know, not just calling it off if someone um, tests positive, but how's it all going to work if a prominent guy tests positive and is now, you know, just out for two weeks plus, you know, that probably ends their season, et cetera, et cetera. It's, there's a lot to talk about basketball-wise there in addition to public health-wise. And then uh, two more things real quickly here. These are not really important, but they're both draft-related. Um, there was a, a sense that Woj was passing along that everyone has said before, and I've said before on the podcast, but everyone expects the draft to be moved back. It's still officially in late June right now. That's not going to happen, I don't think, by anyone's estimation, but that was something that Woj said yet again on that podcast. And as a sidebar to that even, there's a report out there this weekend that ABC is scheduled to simulcast the draft this year for the first time ever. Normally, that's an ESPN property. That's not on sort of the network side like in the way the NFL is, but I guess that's something that they're looking at doing this time around, and they were scheduled to do that so far. We'll see if they ended up following along when the NBA pushes it back to some degree. And also, I know Richard Nichols was talking about this on the podcast, um, there is going to be a push from some circles to maybe put the draft after free agency. That's been a talking point in a lot of circles for a long time. I don't have a huge opinion on that. I think I'd be okay with it in a way that some wouldn't be. But uh, they, you know, I, I, would, I do sort of favor the opportunity to sort of try things based out of this. Um, so we'll see if that ends up being one of the things they ended up trying. But I'm not against a draft post free agency, but that's something that's apparently going to be on the table in these discussions too. If you uh, follow along with some of the reporting that is out there, okay, that's uh, a, lot, a lot to take in. I know, but it's just one of those things where we're all kind of flying blind, and a lot of the reporting was out there. It's a pretty interesting call in a lot of ways. I would kill for the full audio of that, but I'm I know a couple of um, entities and reporters have heard um, pretty interesting stuff. I'm sure to dive into, but uh, sort of that's hopefully that's a pretty good roundup of what transpired. If you missed anything from Friday and Saturday that was reported on that. Okay, before we get to the final segment of the podcast today, let me tell you about one of the ultimate life hacks. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development, but there's an incredible app that solves this problem and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser, and it takes the best key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to all of the content. Successful people like business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books, and Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to read a book on tape during your commute or on your lunch break or while you even exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and has a massive growing library from self-help business, health to history books. Blinkist has a latest has all the latest titles from bestseller lists as well as classic nonfiction titles that you always meant to read but never had time to. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA to try it free for seven days and save 25% off a new subscription. That is Blinkist.com spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T 
Blinkist.com slash NBA to start a seven-day free trial. From there, you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA, Blinkist.com slash NBA. And to wrap up the podcast today, the network is doing sort of a what-if feature, and by the network, I mean the Locked On Podcast Network, a what-if series of sorts across the network, uh, not just NBA, but colleges, baseball, NFL, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there are obviously a ton to choose from for the Hawks and pretty much any franchise. There are lots of what-ifs to dive into if you wanted to dive into all of them at once. Um, And by the way, before we get into the one that I picked for today to talk about a little bit, I want everybody listening, if they want to, to feel free to share yours with me at Locked on Hawks on Twitter or at BT Rowan on Twitter, my personal account, if you want to uh, sort of dive in a few more of those. I might do one or two more in the next couple of weeks if I feel like there is demand for that. So um, thanks for going ahead and uh, sort of engaging with that particular thing on the podcast today. But um, for today's podcast, I'm going with the what if the Hawks landed Giannis Antetokounmpo in the 2013 draft. Um, that may seem a little bit silly if you're a new Hawks fan, you might not know this necessarily, but for many fans that um, were around, they will definitely know this. Atlanta was widely, and I will say again, widely tied to Giannis before that draft. It was the 2013 draft, both on and off the record, the Hawks really liked Giannis. I was definitely younger in my reporting chops at that point in time, but I was around the team. Um, I heard this a lot, all the mock drafts, I've heard it a lot. There's been a lot of discussions about this after the fact with Chad Ford, people that were around at the time. You know, there's been some revisionism, I would say, with a lot of franchises who want to like say and talk about how they how, how they really like Giannis. But there's definitely some incentive for teams to act like they were you know close to getting Giannis because, of course, uh, Giannis is fantastic. But this was definitely out there. The Hawks are a real team that actually could have gotten Giannis. That was very very well discussed beforehand, and I think it actually was real in a lot of ways. Um, as a refresher, Giannis ends up going 15th in the draft to Milwaukee. And, of course, blows up to be the MVP of the league, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a ton of draft day buzz, and even before that, about the Hawks talking with different teams about trading up. The Hawks, before that draft started, had the 17th and 18th picks in the draft. Um, They ended up actually did did make a trade, trading the 18th pick and going up to 16 with Dallas to get Lucas Noguera. That pick didn't go that super well, but they ended up moving up in the draft to do that. And of course, so you know, at the end of the day, they actually came away with the 16th and 17th picks, and Giannis went 15th. So that's pretty pretty funny in a lot in a lot of ways. Of course, the Hawks then took Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder at 17. And honestly, that pick actually went pretty well. Um, Dennis, you know, for, has some faults to be sure, and I don't think you want to measure like number one offensive player like the Hawks had in the middle of their rebuild or I guess the start of their rebuild. But that was a good pick where they actually got him, and he was a contributor for a while there, obviously. Regardless, Giannis got to 15, and that was actually pretty foreseeable. Um, people sort of shrug this off now because he's such a, he's such a freak in every way and fantastic player. But Giannis played against you know terrible competition in uh, pre NBA circles, and that kind of made it really tough to evaluate him. He was extremely raw, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, you know there was definitely some divide on Giannis, and him getting to 15 was not a huge surprise. It was like he took a huge tumble in the draft. Um, but there was some reporting that I even went back and read about. Um, in, in prep for this podcast about the Hawks trading up to 13, um, for instance, there was some discussions about that. Um, there was some pre-draft stuff that even we aggregated at PeacherGroups.com at the time in my early, early days. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff out there that the Hawks could have gotten him pretty easily um, in that cl- in that draft if they had just packaged the two picks together or done whatever they needed to do to do that. Um, they were very, very close, and uh, by the end of it, obviously, they were one pick away from getting Giannis, and uh, yeah, there you go on that. Um, it has to be pointed out, and again, it absolutely has to be said that there is no guarantee that Giannis becomes Giannis anywhere other than Milwaukee, and that includes Atlanta. Um, because of what I said before, he was so raw, 
and I think it would have worked anywhere, honestly, because Giannis worked so hard, and I think he just became um, this monster. A lot of that is um, on his own. I don't think Milwaukee, until Bud got there, put him in this great position necessarily, but at the same time, um, no guarantees, always, with this stuff. I always want to point that out, because culture means a lot when, del- when developing players, especially guys that were not necessarily you know unquestionable number one overall pick kind of guys. With that said... Uh, it would have changed a lot for the Hawks if they had uh, if they had gotten him. Um, on Giannis's front, he was a role player um, his first two years, basically, in Milwaukee. Um, very, very raw early on. He did play more than you may remember, honestly, as a rookie. But um, he basically became a star. Um, I would say, you know, he took sort of a pretty big leap in year three, became like a legitimate star-level player in year four, and then became an actual superstar, like top-ten player in the league kind of guy in year five at age 20, sort of his age 23 season. Um, at the same time, the Hawks had an interesting run during that same period of time. Um, Bud, uh, Mike Budnolzer took over that next season. So that summer of the 2013 draft, it was Danny Ferry as the GM that made that pick. Um, they hired Bud that summer, and he took over. And that was his first year. They won 38 games, the Hawks did, in the East. And they were the eighth seed. They would have been better than that if, if not for an injury to Al Horford, Al Horford that cost them a bunch of wins. So keep that in mind. And they pushed the, they pushed the Pacers in the playoffs that year, etc., and I'm not really sure how much, if at all, Giannis would have really helped them his first year, but the real what-if stuff begins the following year, because, of course, that's 2014-15, and the best team in franchise history, basically, at least from a wins perspective. Um, Dennis Schur did have, a, did have a role on that team. Lucas Nogueira didn't have a huge role at that point in time, and Lucas never really made a huge mark, so that's unfortunate. I've always, I always kind of like Lucas. But um, Schur was a backup. He mattered. But it is definitely fascinating to picture how they might have incorporated Giannis into that bunch. And a team that was trying to win at a high level right then and there, he would have played, but I'm not sure how much, etc. Um, after that, the Hawks were still quite good in 15-16. They weren't as good, obviously, but um, that was their final year being like a real, you know, high level playoff team kind of kind of uh, situation um, with the franchise. After that, of course, Al Horford leaves, Dwight Howard signs, and the Stars sort of aligned for the rebuild because that was 16-17 uh, was not a fun year to cover. I think it's fairly obvious that provided Giannis was close to being Giannis um, and around that same kind of track, the Hawks wouldn't have actually bottomed out at any point. I'm not sure what they would have done that summer um, after 15-16. Maybe they would have re-signed Al. Maybe they would, would have just paid him and gone, um, had that flexibility with Giannis. Maybe they would have done things differently, not signed Dwight, etc. I'm not 100% sure, but regardless, Giannis' first real star season was the year that Dwight was in Atlanta in 16-17. And while that may not have happened, they would have obviously been much better. The Hawks would have been with Giannis. And a lot of decisions probably change with the likes of Horford and Dwight and Millsap, et cetera, et cetera. I would say the only, if you if you want to call this a downside, um, would have been that the Hawks never really bought him out with Giannis. I think that's pretty clear. If they had gotten him and locked him up in the way they almost certainly would have, they never bought him out. They never actually rebuild. And uh, guys like Trey Young and... Um, you know, maybe John Collins gets here because he went to 19, but guys like Trey Young and Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter never come to Atlanta, especially Trey Young is the one you want to talk about for sure. But the Hawks likely keep their, their playoff streak going. And considering Giannis is unquestionably, you know, an elite, elite, elite player in the league, they would probably would have been a title contender by now, you'd imagine, because Giannis is a, sort of a one-man contender on his own right now. He is that good. But at any rate, there are a lot of ways this could have gone, honestly. But I want to send. I want to say one more time. This was definitely a thing that could have happened. This is not some you know out of the box crazy thing that the Hawks could have had Giannis. It was pretty close to happening in a lot of respects. I've heard things over the years, and even in that moment, they were pretty close to pulling off a deal for Giannis. So um, not a not a crazy what if. I think some of the stuff is uh, you know some teams have pretty, given pretty amusing quotes about how close they were getting to Giannis, but the Hawks were 
interested, I will say, for sure. And pretty much everyone acknowledges that it could have happened. So that's one that will drive you crazy. And I know it's been a talking point for a long time with diehard Hawks fans. But I feel like a good one to start off with with this World Up series. And there's been lots of uh, ones around the network. So check out everyone uh, locked on NBA. Um, whichever your other teams you're interested in across the NBA, as well as uh, MLB, Locked on Falcons, Aaron Freeman, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone's diving on the, on the what if train in the next week or two. So there you go on that. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast. That'll, that'll do it for today. As I said before, I have a plan in place. I never want to, I never sort of outwardly advertise specific guests ahead of time because I don't want to put them, in, put, them in, put them in a bad spot if they end up having to cancel. But I do have a, a planned podcast for Monday night that will go up on Tuesday morning etc etc with a guest about the NBA draft so hopefully that will uh, end up taking place regardless I will have shows for you this whole week again um, please subscribe to the show it's uh, huge for us if you go ahead and do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you like to listen to podcasts check us out and subscribe leave a positive feedback five stars nice comments etc etc and I will see everybody next time